Thank you. Don't leave, Ron. Stay here. Thank you, Pastor, and thank you, Rick. I'm, I'm asking my friend to stay with me just for a minute. Pardon me if I sit down. I'll explain that in a minute. Standing with me is Ron Canella, one of my best friends in the whole world. He, uh, he is one of those guys that doesn't know what it means. To, he doesn't understand fear. Uh, Afghan, amazing warrior in Afghanistan. Uh, I could tell you a great history about this man. You, you, you'll know more about him in the future. He continues to evolve into great leadership in this community. But Ron and his beautiful wife are here today. He came into my program years ago, a broken man. And I got to tell you, today you're looking at one of the finest American heroes you'll ever meet. Still carries in his body the bullets of serving with the government undercover and his own people shot him didn't know who he was and he's here today as a man that does not know when to stop giving to this great country loves jesus with all of his heart would you just say a big welcome to american hero ron canetto i love you buddy thanks ron thank you ron canetto well i I'm I'm uh, I'm almost breathless. I I don't even know what to say. I've been introduced before, but now all introductions will be compared against this one. It's like the first girl you ever kissed, huh, buddy? Uh, all kisses are measured against that first kiss you ever got in your life. And uh, I, I'm gonna I'm I'm not gonna allow myself to get into a formality today. I'm gonna. I'm going to try and just be my heart on this platform to you. There's so much I want to say to you, and I don't want it to come off as preachy. First of all, I want to explain why I'm seated. Uh, in 2010, I was in Iraq, and uh, I thought I was younger than I am. I jumped out of a helicopter and broke my back. I was shattered six vertebrae, and they put in 12 screws and two rods. I don't stand well. I don't walk well. But my mouth still works. I can talk well. <laughs> and it's like a piano player. I guess you cripple his fingers. He's in trouble. If you took my voice, I'd be in trouble. But uh, I have to sit. So thank you for that, that freedom. Uh, Pastor Hardy, thank you, sir, for your leadership in this community, in this state, in this country, and your willingness to share this podium platform with your people. Uh, you and your wife are two of the sweetest people I've ever known in my life, and I can't thank you enough. Thank you. I love you. I love you. Uh, I say I, love, I speak sign language. I lost my thumb, so I speak sign, sign language with a lisp. <laughs> I love you. Uh, and Rick and Lisa will forever be... Uh, monuments of God's grace in my life through this great couple and uh, for Rick to introduce me with such kind words uh, he's one of the most successful men I've ever known in his career ever as a contractor with the government building the largest facilities in this nation for our military uh, resorts uh, one of the just un unbelievably incredibly intelligent and brilliant man who loves Jesus so, Rick, uh, I didn't see where you went and sat, but I love you too. 
There you are. There you are over there, Lisa. I'm so glad you're up and around, girl, and you look pretty as always. And uh, just glad to see God restoring your health, and it'll be better than it was before. Amen? Amen. Uh, some of you might know that uh, my wife left me for another man some year, two years ago. And uh, I, I found out <clears throat> he didn't ask me, but he took her. And uh, I know where he lives. I know his name. <laughs> his name is Jesus. He took her to his place, and he, he didn't ask me about it. He just did it. And I'm glad to tell you that this church has witnessed uh, in the four years now that I've been here, you've witnessed my physical recovery. My first time here, I just had surgery, and they made my nose and my eyelids and my lips because this side of my face was blown off. And they had to rebuild everything. So I, I came here for the first time you ever met me, had a nose, but it was, it was still out of shape. It had to have some more work. So um, I've had 10 surgeries on my nose uh, and lips. And now you're witnessing the healing of the worst injury I've ever encountered in my life. And I'm two years into that, and that's the loss of Brenda. But I'm getting over it. And these are the lessons I learned. I shared it with a wonderful mil, uh, men's ministry yesterday. You got the greatest guys in the country in your church here. You, you men are wonderful. I so enjoyed our <clears throat> our day yesterday. But I was telling them, and I'll share with you that the lessons I learned uh, about losing my wife was one: every man in this room listened to me. And if you're not married, remember this: when you get married, kiss your wife goodnight every night and tell her how much you love her. Every night, no exceptions, no excuses, no reason. Just do it. Tell her how much you are, because you never know when that can end. Don't let a day go by. You don't tell her by how much you love her. And number two, I learned that what you cannot get over, I'll never get over losing Brenda, but I can still get through it. What you can't get over, you can still get through. And the third lesson I learned was, men, die first and make her pay all the bills. It's a pain. Oh, Lord, it's a lot of work. I'm still trying to figure out how to do that. I had to learn how to cook and set my kitchen on fire. I did. They, they got the fire out and had to put in a new smoke detector. And then close the dryer door all the way before you call the repairman. So I'm learning a lot since life. See, here's, here's the point. Life never lets us stop growing. And if you stop growing, you're dead. The biological sign of life is growth. And there is not a place better for me to be than in this place, Valley Church, with you amazing, loving, caring people who have the gift of showing that love. You just keep doing that, and this building will not hold the people that will flock to this place as you continue to grow because you're alive. You're a love, and you're alive. Make sense? So with that said, uh, I do want to do something really quick. It's a little business, if you'll permit me to. I want to mention that I'm going to put this down here. I, I have some uh, books, but I, I don't take royalties, so don't think I'm doing this because it makes me wealthy. It doesn't. I'm not wealthy. Uh, I'm not trying to be wealthy. I'm retired from the military. I'm retired with Social Security, and so I'm, I do all right. But what I'm going to share with you, if I can get my arm to work, is 
Very important to what I do for the reason God called me to do it. I just finished a brand new book you don't have. And I'm, I'm, I, I can't begin to tell you how much it means to me to share this with you. You have a book that's called Scarred. That's an autobiography. A lot of you have that one. And you also have the one called War and Recovery. If you don't have these books, these books are powerful stories and history that shows the hand of God on a little guy's life that had no idea what was coming in his life. Uh, one of the most embarrassing things a man ever goes through is self-discovery. When you find out you're not what you thought you were. Very embarrassing. And unfortunately, in my case, I'm a slow learner. <laughs> I get embarrassed real often when I find out I'm not what I thought I was. But in the book, uh, War and Recovery, you'll discover it's written like a very much like a, uh, uh, a, you know, devotional is the right word. You can read it, and it's got a scripture for every story from the battlefield that you can take to the mission field. But the book that just came out a few weeks ago, Forged in Fire, is the story of the whole family, what we as a family. The reason it's important for you to understand this, these are things, you don't have to have battery to read this. You, don't have, you can sit under a tree in a forest and read this book. No signal required. And if you need glasses, take those. That's about the only technology you need if you need that. But this book, A Lifetime of Pain Forged a Lifestyle of Resiliency. And in the book, you'll discover a great tribute to an amazing woman that was part of my very DNA. She was not just my wife. I am alive sitting here today because Brenda was the best scab picker. That's what the doctor said. She's the best scab picker. She would not stop when they did. She kept digging until she got the dead flesh. She got the blast of that phosphorus that was in my body. She got all that dug out from all over me. And I never had an infection the entire time I was in the hospital. And that's what kills patients at a burn. Not one infection. And she was just a little girl. I met her when I was 16. I asked her to marry me. And she slapped me. She did. She's 13. And she said, I'm only 13 years old. I said, but you have the body of a 14-year-old. Don't say that. She slapped me the second time. And she's got a pretty good right hook. So you thought I was injured in Vietnam. This happened before Vietnam. <laughs> but her dad wouldn't let us get married until she graduated. Her, his name was Smith N. Wesson. And <laughs> when you read the story, Forged in Fire, you will understand why I have no expectations of ever getting over losing that woman. I'll never get over it. But I'm getting through it. So much so I actually met a lady a couple of weeks ago. And I'm now communicating with her. I feel guilty for doing that, like I'm doing something wrong to Brenda, but I'm learning that it's okay to start over. If I have to, I don't know how to do that. I don't even know how to date, so I just sent flowers. But I, I, I thought sunflowers were beautiful, but they, especially, I guess it's supposed to be roses. <laughs> Never mind. That was stupid. It really, really was. But I'm talking about the man sitting in front of you for a reason. It, it's awkward for me because I'm terrible at self-analysis, but it's even more difficult because 
I'm drawing attention to the bad part of Dave, the part that's mutilated, the part that's burned, the part that's broken. But I'm willing to do that. If you can understand with all that incredible introduction, I'm just a broken chunk of flesh. You have no idea how broken I am. I wear glasses not because I can't see, because I'm embarrassed for you to see me. I don't like the way I look without them. My, my eyelids are not real. My ears are not real. Fell off when I was preaching in Jamaica. I stuck it back on. They thought it was a miracle, and they all got saved. <laughs> That's a true story. I'm going to leave one ear stuck right in here. I'm going to leave it and listen to what y'all say about me when I'm gone. <laughs> See, I, I live in embarrassment most of the time. And I, when I buy an air, airline ticket, I always get the window seat to the right because windows and, and walls don't ask embarrassing questions. What happened to your face? Some guy uglier than me. I look easy. What happened to your mother? <laughs> Dude, you know you're ugly when you're born. They slap your mom. So... I, I hope you understand that with the sweetest introduction man could ever have, I don't see any of that that they see. I don't see any of that. I put my parts on in the morning. It's, I, I got my hair back. I, not uh, my hair. I bought it, so it is my hair. It is and it isn't, you know. Something good did come out of Wuhan. <laughs> There's also something left there, and he's bald. <laughs> Never mind. Again, I'm my own humor. I get it, but most people don't. Uh, but whenever you you try to relate to people, you can't relate. I can't relate on the terms that people may see me. I have to relate on the terms I see myself. And in doing so, I found out something. I found out a lot of people are just like me. I'm scarred on the outside. And they may look beautiful in their precious bodies, but they're scarred on the inside. And, and prefer, I prefer to be scarred on the outside, to be honest with you. I, I wouldn't trade my heart for any precious body if it brought a broken heart with it. And my heart has been broken, but it's been healed. every time. I've never had a broken heart God didn't heal. Never had my heart broken that Jesus didn't heal it. And he heals it through many different methods and one of the methods I'm sitting in the middle of right now, I'm sitting in the middle of one of the, one of the places, you talk about how long I drove to get here and long to get back. Yeah, it's a long drive. But the anticipation of being here made it a short drive. The looking forward to being with my friends in Caldwell. And, and to be with Rick and Lisa, Pastor Young. And, and I get to see Ron and his wife and, and all of you. We had dinner last night with some couples that just stole my heart. I go where I'm loved. I, I'll get invitations all over the world. Uh, literally, I, I don't say that with arrogance. I say it with gratitude. It's nice, but I turn down a lot of them because I don't think they love me like Caldwell. And y'all are ruining me. <laughs> you, you set a bar others can't reach. And I come here because I'm loved. And if it works with me, what does it do for you? You know you're loved. That's the way the body of Christ should function. 
I go to so many churches, there's an expectation of entertainment. I came from Las Vegas, dear. And they've already started looking at the biggest casino for my next visit. It's because it can seat 3,000. They will put my name in lights. I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's just go to that little storefront. Where we can get 200 people packed in if you grease them and slide them in. Because I, I feel the warmth and the love of that place. Pastor Hondo Carpenter, he's a writer for Sports Illustrated and pastors that church, and he's the team sports writer for the Las Vegas Raiders. He has huge vision. He'll win that city. I, if anybody's going to win Las Vegas, Hondo can do it. He's six foot seven, weighs 400 pounds, played football for the Raiders way, way back, and got injured terribly and never could play again. But his heart's always been in sports. He'll do it. He, he, he's, he's a driven man. And I went to them again because there's love and acceptance and healing and deliverance that I see among them in the beginning embryo of what you're now growing into and maturing into more and more. And this church is selected by God. God has chosen you. He has called you. He has anointed you. And faithful is he who calleth thee, who also will perform it. So he doesn't call you to do something and expect you to. He calls you to do it and expects you to let him do it through you. But he's not going to call a vessel he can't use. And he can't use a vessel that's not been broken. A leaky vessel is the only one he wants. He doesn't want something that keeps everything for itself. And a broken vessel is a leaky vessel. And being broken is never fun. Oh, Lord, it hurts. It hurts. And when you think you've finally been broken, then you get broken again. I remember this, the scripture that talks about the levels of suffering. And, and the last level is being cast down but not destroyed. Cast down but not destroyed. What, what, what's different about that one? You know, if you drop something, the average speed with wind resistance of anything dropped without Wind resistance is going to be about 120 miles an hour for a feather. But the heavier it is, you think it goes faster. It really doesn't. It's the law of gravity and, and mass density of mass. It's going to drop about the same speed. But when it's cast down, it has the energy behind it being thrust. Like trying to fly an airplane without a jet engine. You can throw it and it'll go the way. Put a jet engine, it goes a lot further, a lot faster. It's got energy behind it. When you're cast down, you're not dropped. When you're dropped, you can, it breaks. When you're cast down, it shatters. You get the difference? There are people in this room right now with me who know what it's like to be shattered. But being broken, being shattered, is not the same as being destroyed. When you're destroyed, there's no hope. And I shared with the men yesterday the word perplexity, or to be perplexed, is to see that there's no visible way out. You don't see any way. There's no solution. That's when faith kicks in. That's when hope that has been lost is now brought back. It's that tiny little flicker of hope that faith can grab hold of and build back. And don't let circumstances of life destroy you. How, how does it destroy you whenever you lose your hope? When you lose hope, you've lost everything. There's no, no recovery from hope without hope. Get your hope back. 
And I remember when they were taking me from debridement, when they put you in a tank of water and they soften the charcoal your body has become. And then they get it soft enough, they take knives and scalpel, they fillet you. And you go insane. You just go nuts. You, you can't take it. No one can. It's worse than torture. And literally, you, you try to kill yourself because after two minutes, the average length of time in the debridement tank, two minutes and you're trying to take your life or somebody's I tried to kill a woman trying to help me. There were six of them, three on each side of me. And I grabbed one of them. Her hair was a little longer. And I drug her in that tank and I had her face down in the water and I almost drowned her. They got her out in time. My hair, her hair had my skin in it. Her white uniform is pink with blood. I'm bleeding everywhere. I'm screaming and, and searing. Being burned is bad. Being debreeded is 10 times worse than being burned. Anybody that's been debreeded knows I'm telling you the truth. I tried to kill her. I was out of my head. Today, she's one of my best friends. We both got old together. And she's married to a colonel in the Air Force, and they called me to Oregon to speak for his, uh, he's over the Air National Guard at Redmond Field. And 20,000 people came to hear me speak that day on the 4th of July, and I get to speak, and this woman walks up, and she says, you know who I am? I'm shortening it. I said, no, I'm the woman you pulled into the tank. 20 years after I'd done that, she, she never forgot what I did to her. I never forgot what I did to her either. And... I asked her to forgive me. She laughed. She said, well, I thought it was you. I just didn't recognize you with your clothes on. <laughs> See, I'm talking about embarrassment every day of my life. Don't go to church with your nurse. <laughs> so with that said, if I can get you back now. <laughs> life is filled with being shattered, being broken, but not destroyed. And as if, if the destruction part comes at our hand, at our behest, if we give up, then we're destroyed. And some of you, as I'm speaking, are comparing my words to your situation. And you're saying to yourself, if he can make it, why can't I? Well, that's a good point. Because what I cannot get over, I can still get through. I have lived since 1969, July 69th, I've lived every day trying to get over something I'll never get over 62 operations. I got two more scheduled for this year. And they're still trying to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And they can't do it. They'll never, they'll never succeed. My nose is a blessing, but if you look close, it's not, it's not real. I mean, well, it's real but because it's a nose now. But they made this on top of my head. You know, I scratch my head. I'm already picking my nose. <laughs> uh, I, I'm scattered all over myself. My eyelids came off my left shoulder and and my lips were made. I won't tell you where my lips made. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> they tried to make my face from there, and I told them no. And they said, why not? I said, people won't know if I'm coming or going. So, uh, And who's going to say, kiss my face? You know, it doesn't sound right. <laughs> so I deal with Dave every day of my life. I have to deal with me. I have to deal with me to get myself up in the morning and say, it's going to be a good day. I know it's going to hurt. I didn't want to leave my coach this morning because for whatever reason, my legs didn't get oxygen enough and they don't, the muscles are not responding well. But I, I came up the steps right quite well. And I was, I was dreading trying to get up four steps. Walked right up. Because 
God is always enough for what you have to do and what he called you to do. Faithful is he who calleth thee, who also will do it. And so I, I hope that today as I continue this, this self-analysis that you don't think I'm enjoying talking about myself. It's humiliating because it draws attention to the bad part. Uh, but God didn't do this to me. i got to make that so clear to you. God didn't do this to my hand. One of my greatest illustrations with my hand is each finger has a disability because it was all these three fingers of thumb were literally blown off. They're hanging by skin. The only finger left attached was that one. So these, I've got that much movement. Uh, each finger had a percent of disability. I don't remember what it was, the percentage, but it was pretty high. The biggest percent of disability came lack of my thumb use, and that one was blown off. They made that little stub of a thumb, they made that out of my hip. I tell children, don't suck your hip. <laughs> they look at me and say, Mama, he has brain. I don't have brain, I don't have Dane Bramage. But all this, they took a tape measure and they tape measured my scar tissue to get square inch of scar tissue for disability. And then that scar tissue, if it's on your face, it's more because it's your personality alteration by the way you look. And ear, gone. Well, they give you a plastic ear because if you cup your hand, you hear better. You lose your outer ear, you get like cupping your hand, you can't hear as good. That's a percent disability. Loss of eyelid, loss of eyeball. The eyeball remained, but it was scarred so bad. 50, over 50 years, I was blind, 90% blind in my right eye. During COVID, they said, well, why don't you come in, let us look at your eye. And they carved off the scar tissue of my right eyeball. I have perfect vision today in my right eye. <laughs> you know, you win some, you lose some. I lost my but I got my eyesight. <laughs> I don't know how that relates, but during COVID. But I, I, I added up the disabilities and I came up with the same the, that the Veterans Administration did. They said I'm, uh, this is honest God truth, they said I'm 240% disabled. That's almost twice and a half not. <laughs> I said, well, can I get 240% disability pay? <laughs> That'd be good, wouldn't it, Ron? That'd be all right with me. No, they said, Navy said you can only get 100%. Nothing's more than 100%. You can't get but 100%. But the Navy said we'll also tack on your 100% permanently disabled, totally disabled, and unemployable. So I've got a question for you. What is this thing? It's a microphone. What's this? Disabled hand. What's this? A preaching finger. You take a microphone, put it in a disabled hand that's a mic stand, give him a preacher finger, and you've got what's called an evangelist. I'm not disabled. I'm not unemployable. I have a job. I'm a preacher of the gospel. I didn't let the world define who I was, scars and all. I'm defined by Jesus Christ, who called me by his name. Don't let the world tell you who you are. They, what does the world know? They're worse off. Like I say, you know, you're ugly. Well, yeah, so is your mother. <laughs> you know, get back. Don't take it sitting down. Fight back. Don't let them define who you are. Let God call you. Faithful is he who calleth thee, who also will do. So 
Today, uh, I'm on a tour that started out in Texas, went all the way to Saigon, Vietnam, and back to America to here. So I, on this tour, I've been to Vietnam for 10 days. And uh, I was over visiting my staff over there. I'll soon have 100 employees just in Vietnam in our schools. Our online university in Vietnam, REAP International, which REAP was defined, Reaver Educational Assistance Programs, REAP. I don't want my name attached because I don't like my name everywhere. So I, we go by the acronym, REAP. I thought that's perfect. Global REAP is the university in Vietnam. We have 100,000 students studying for ministry in Vietnam alone. That's just one country. Worldwide, we've now hit 200,000 mark, 14 languages in 38 countries. Devil should have killed me when he had me down, but he blew it. He should kill you when he has you down, but you keep getting back up. You keep fighting back. You won't take no for an answer. You take that little preaching finger you got and point it in his face. Tell him where to go. He knows the way. And that's his ultimate destination, don't you forget. When he brings up your past, bring up his future. I wish I thought of that myself. Somebody else did, but I'll take credit today. <laughs> well, God had a plan for my life, and from my childhood, I can look back like you can from your child, things that should have really should have killed you. Why are you still alive? Why are you still here? That stop shine you ran or the other guy ran should have taken you out, T-boned you, and you should have died. A thousand things that could have, should have, and would have, except God had a call on your life. He called you, and now he's going to perform it in you and is performing it in you because that plan is divine, divine. And it's not subject to the laws of nature. The plan of God is not subject to the laws of gravity. It's not subject to the laws of sin and death because you are under the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus. We're under a law either way. You're under the law of sin and death or the law of spirit of life. Which law do you want to be under? Give me life any day, amen? It's kind of like the little boy flying a kite. And the kite said, I want to go higher. So the little boy lets some more string out, and the kite goes higher, and it stops. And he says, no, 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 I want to go higher, little boy. Give me some more string. Let's out some more string. Pretty soon, the string comes to the end, tied to the little stick, and the little boy says, that's all there is. The kite says, oh, I want to go higher. Cut the string. Who knows what happens next? Does the kite go higher? Why doesn't it go higher? No, it comes down, and it gets its tail hung up in a high line. Everybody goes by, looks up, says, oh, poor little kite got his tail caught in the high line. I've seen many a Christian with their tail caught in the high line because they cut the string. What does that mean? They broke the law. You and I were never created to be independent. We were created to be dependent upon the creator himself, God. And the devil tries to substitute himself to be your dependency. You're going to live under the law of sin and death or the law of the spirit of life, one law or the other. And when you cut the string and break the law, the thing that was holding you down was the thing that was holding you up. And when you cut that string, you're coming down. 
So don't think that, well, I can do it my way. The worst song that may have ever been written and is sung at funeral after funeral and adored by people, even Christians. If you listen to the words, for God's sake, how can you call it good? I did it my way. Fooly, Bubba, don't tell me you did it. When you come to the end, you better done it God's way. Because your way is going to send you straight to hell. I don't want to do it my way. That's cutting the string. I want my tail hung up my high line. Speaking of high lines, I was in Iraq not long ago, and, well, before the end of the war, and we took a hit on a helicopter, a small arms fire, and it severed a hydraulic line. And we can smell hydraulic fluid, but the, the tube was between the outer and inner wall. There's a little space about that wide in there. That tube was hit, and they couldn't fly indefinitely, but it was a slow enough leak that they could watch their gauges when they started losing the hydraulic pressure. They had to auto-rotate if they lost it completely. They didn't want to do that and land that thing. But you don't want to go real high because then it's too far to get down before you run out of hydraulic fluid. Make sense? Had to get far enough away from the guy with his little Toyota truck and an anti-aircraft gun in the back of it and three guys trying to shoot down that helicopter. So we got far enough away thinking, okay, we're safe, and we hit a sandstorm. And you couldn't see the front of that helicopter. But they had infrared. And they could fly and had enough of an image and altitude enough to get far enough away they felt safe in the sandstorm, which is now eating up the engine. They landed that thing. And when the sandstorm cleared, we were sitting under a power line. If we had been any higher, we would have perished in that power line. Any lower, we would have crashed. God had a plan for our lives in that helicopter just a couple of years ago. In my life, I can look back at all those moments. I should have perished, but God had a plan. And I guess some of the more intimate moments I want to share with you, because when Jesus showed up, let me start by saying this. Faith and fear are diametrically opposed. Faith is the opposite of fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. You cannot have faith and fear reside in the heart at the same time. One's going to push the other out. And there have been times when I've been at such a point of despair that I lost my hope. And I became master of my own destiny. That's called suicide. I wanted to take my life. I tried once, and I really, I really should have succeeded, but people got in the way and helped me live. I don't know what they were thinking. <laughs> the problem with the master of your own destiny is that you're a self-made man, let's put it that way. And the problem with self-made man is he worships his creator himself, the self-made man. And that's called humanism. When you worship yourself or you think you're, you're the end, the sum total of all that's good. You're nobody better than you and everybody that you judge is judged by your own set of rules. The Bible has a lot to say about people like you and I hope there's none of you in here. But just in case you are, boy, I got you in my crosshair. Judge not lest you be judged. For the thing you judge is the thing you're guilty of, the Bible says. So don't become judgmental and don't judge. So a self-made man does it his way. I did it my way instead of God's way. And 
after I was injured, I, they flew me off the riverbank uh, by helicopter, and then they put me on a big hospital jet, flew me to Japan. And in Japan, I did something really stupid. I asked them to bring me a mirror so I could see what was left. If it's covered, it, was, it remained, but it was now swelling to the width of my shoulder, big, huge glob of second-degree burn because it, my clothing set my face on fire on this side. It, this side of my head was shattered from the explosion on this side. My head shattered. You, just, you understand what I'm saying? If you put a flashlight on your right side, this side's dark. This side, well, that's exactly what it was. The light, the fire took off. Everything not covered. Top of my head, if it's covered, it remained just enough to granulate, they call, and grow back. The skin was enough to grow back without grafting. Left the pores slightly larger, and I don't have much feeling in any of my face. This side was skull. Charred black skull, teeth sticking out. My teeth were charred. My tongue was swollen. I had tongues of fire for a short time. Come on now, that's funny. I don't care who you are. I was blind in my eye, deaf in my ear. And I saw enough to know on the bank of that river, I couldn't see my face on my head. I saw my face on my boots. In the hospital, I saw my face in the mirror while I was left. And the last words I said to my teenage wife, she said, Davey, are you coming back? Tears just run. She wasn't bawling. She wasn't out of control. She was a very much in control woman. But her tears were so difficult for me to accept because I was breaking her heart. <laughs> I served with the highest KIA per capita in the war. And you say, well, what was that? That was Brownwater Black Break. We had the highest per capita. We were a tiny organization, but so many of us got killed. Per Percentage-wise, we were the highest. But you can't prove it because if they don't get your body, you're not, even though they know you're dead, if they don't have your body, you're not KIA, you're MIA until they get your body. Well, they didn't get the body of these boys. Some of them were blown to pieces. Some of them went down with the boat. But when I was injured and listed KIA, they rejoiced because they had a body. 34 years later, they corrected and found out I wasn't dead. Huh. I felt like Mark Twain, the news of my death had been greatly exaggerated. It's, that's when the Purple Heart was given to me. That's when I got all the medals. I didn't know I had any medals. The only medal I knew was in my head from the explosion. What's the first thing through your mind? Shrapnel. <laughs> now, let's get back. When they held that mirror over my face, I looked at my face. My medical record proved I was alive. My service record was marked KIA. It's two different records. Medical and pay record are different from your service record. I looked at my saw, and I remembered the last words I said to my wife. When she said, are you coming back? I said, I'll be back without a scar. I made a promise then that I had every reason to believe I could not keep. But I didn't want her to be without hope. And when I looked in that mirror, I didn't see the scar, the burn, the charcoal, the swollen face, the hole in my chest I breathed through, and the beating, I could see my heart beating. I didn't see all that. I saw a broken promise. I knew I was destroying the hope of a little girl that deserved better than she got. She married a bill of goods. Handsome young prince now turned into the frog. Almost croaked. <laughs> oh, I thought of that. I got to lighten this up a little bit. And when they walked away with that mirror, they walked away with my hope. Remember? Dropped or cast down, 
That was a cast down. I was shattered. I lost my hope, and it turned into a suicide attempt. I had no gun, had no knife, had no handful of pills. I was being administered medication through an IV and through an intubation. Well, what they did next was walk away with my hope, and I did next. I pulled that tube out. I laid my head back, and I waited to die. And I got hungry. It's the wrong tube. <laughs> Actually, you can die that way, but it's going to take a long time. And, and if you're in a hurry, don't, don't pull your feeding tube. That was, that was my life dripping on the floor. That was my lunch. <laughs> and that's when they made some new orifices in my body that I did not have before that. They chewed on me and wrangled on me and... Cussed me. I mean, I had doctors use nasty words describing me. They were so angry at me that day. We're trying to save your life. You're trying to kill yourself. So to punish me, they put me on an airplane, sent me to America to punish me. They took my last will and testament. How are we doing on time? Probably should have been through 20 minutes. Got a few more minutes? We all right? You know, you know, let me tell you about the last will and testament. She was 80 years old. She was retired. Her husband was a retired general living in Japan because they love the country there. And she volunteered at the hospital and she took Will, last will and testament. So she came to me and she said, I'm here to take your last will and testament. I said, okay, ma'am. I guess there's no hope. She said, no, doctor said there's no hope. So why do you bequeath your wife? I'd never heard bequeath. I know what that meant. I looked at her and I said, I'm a Christian man. I don't do that to her. <laughs> it sounded nasty. I never had an STD in my life. I didn't want then. And bequeath, yuck, who wants bequeath? She looked at me, she said, what? I looked at her and I said, what? She said, what? I said, what? It sounded like a light bulb. You know, we're a four watt light bulb. And I said, ma'am, what is bequeath? Is that the word? She said, yes, you don't know what that means. I said, no, ma'am. What do you leave your wife? I said, we just got married. I don't have anything to leave her. Then she started crying. I made no woman cry. And then I'd start crying because I made, felt bad. I made her cry. We're wadding back and forth. I said, I have something. I, I think I got something to leave her. That made her happy. She licked her number two pencil and started writing on her yellow pad. What do you bequeath her? I bequeath to my wife the memory that I never once broke my vows to her, ever. If you can't die with your decisions that you live with, you made the wrong decisions. You gotta die with what you believe in. What's your core value? What's that thing you're willing to die? Is anything worth dying for? Most of you men say, I die for my family. A lot of you say, I die for my country. I could vouch for both, and I have evidence to prove it. But the point is, if there's nothing worth dying for, the question is, is there anything worth living for? If there's nothing greater than the sum total of Dave Reaver, that ain't enough worth living for. That's why suicide is so prevalent in America today. Because now when things are being shaken, all that's good is falling. And people are left standing alone with nothing to show for their life. 
and you are not worth dying for on your own, for your own, at your own hand, don't do it. Don't ever give suicide a second thought. It's the second thought that will kill you. Don't do it. I know what it's like to be in despair, perplexed, to lose hope. I've been there. I've actually tried, as you've already heard. I don't make fun of it, but I make light of it because I don't want it to be such a heavy thought that some of you walk out saying, I know how it feels. I'm just going to go. No, 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 no. Don't go try. Never give suicide a second thought. Right now, suicide among our youth that are in transgender confusion have the highest rate of suicide. Why? Because they've, they're left standing alone, don't know what they are. They believe teachers that tell them anything, and they believe the teacher when their parents' voice is lost. You get them at home for a few hours a day when they're not playing with their phone. Teachers get them six hours a day, every day, Monday through Friday. Who's got the strongest voice in the life of your child? Pray for Christian teachers. We need godly teachers in our schools. We need men to stand as men and be men. Be the priest of your house. That is not to put your wife down. The Bible says man, for a woman, <coughs> submit yourself to your husband. But the Bible says for men to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So are you willing to give your life for your wife? If not, you don't love her the way Jesus loved the church. Be willing to die for what you believe in. Be willing to put it all on the line. Faithful is he who called you to be what you are, the priest of the house. And he'll give you all the tools and weaponry to do it. I go to Vietnam and people say, what's it like to go back? It's wonderful. I went the first time with an M16. Limited, very limited success. I went back second time with a John 3.16 and I'm killing the enemy. And it's because I didn't quit. And please don't take that as some kind of self-adoration. You don't know what I look at in the mirror. So you, you, you understand. I'm willing to be an example. I want to say to you, follow me as I follow Christ the way Paul said it. But I feel so awkward. And especially when I know that some of you have been hurt so much more than I have. You've been shattered and even lost hope. See, what you don't know about Ron and his wife is, Ron, forgive me. Can I? A couple years ago, his son and his grandson were killed in an accident. He lost the two boys that he loved so much. Boom, one second. I was in Texas. I was driving across a remote area of South Texas down by our ranch there we built for our warriors. There's no signal. There is occasionally a little bleep of a signal show up with one little bar, and then it's gone within 50 yards. In a 50-yard span of signal, I got a text from Ron, 911, 911, 911. I stopped the vehicle in that 50-yard space, and I called him. I said, Ron, 911 what? I couldn't understand a word as he was so broken trying to tell me. He just lost the love of their lives, their precious son and grandson. You know why he's sitting there today? You know why she's sitting there today? Because God called them 
and no weapon formed against them can prosper. Greater is he that's in them than he that's in the world. And when I get to feeling sorry for myself, I remember Ron and his wife. I get to feeling sorry for myself. I remember some of you who lost your spouse and the Spirit of God says to me, suck it up, buttercup. Get out there and do what I called you to do and I'll get you through what you cannot get over. Because the call of God is without repentance. God doesn't take back what he gave you. He gave you a will, a purpose to live it, and a mission to go fulfill that purpose in. He's not going to retract that. And if you don't fulfill it, you'll be held accountable for it. You still love me? I got to stop somewhere. I guess I'll stop by a little story that seems unrelated, but it keeps coming to my mind. It came off the river, you know. I, most of you know I'm not a preacher. Uh, I'm not accused of that very often. I only spit to the front row. You have to spit to the third row to be a good preacher. <laughs> but uh, I, I share with parables stories. I'm a parabolist. Terribleist. <laughs> parabolist. And uh, so I try to get my point across with stories that illustrate it. That's why the book I wrote on uh, war and recovery is so important to me because it takes the negatives and turns them into positive. I want to do this with this last story. It seems unrelated, but it's the most difficult time I ever had in Vietnam until my injury. Uh, I was going down the river. We had radar on our little river boats. They're made of fiberglass. If you wonder what they're like, if you ever saw the movie Apocalypse Now, first repent because it's nasty. You shouldn't have been watching radar. And number two, if you did watch it and repented and you remember this, <laughs> it was a riverboat that was featured, featured in that. That is the exact boat that I was on, that riverboat. It's called a PBR, river patrol boat. Patrol boat slash river, PBR. And I came across on my radar one night a gap in the riverbank I had not seen before. A gap is a blank space where the riverboat was defined, the, where the river was defined very clearly, but there's that space that wasn't defined. And it was about the width of the boat. I marked it on my map. We didn't have GPS, so we had lat longitude, latitude markings on a, on a rubber mat that could take water and not be destroyed. I marked it and I went back the next day and it wasn't there. It was, where'd that gap go? And I figured that thing is open at night so the enemy can get in and out and close it back up. Not We wouldn't see it. We didn't have satellite. We didn't have any means of knowing where that little canal would go from the river. I went back to the exact place during the day and pulled and those limbs and trees all came floating off. The gap was there. I went up the gap. I went into a little village like a cul-de-sac. I beached the boat. The children were terrified of me. I was carrying an M60 machine gun with crisscrossed with, uh, with ammunition. It's a very Rambo image, but Rambo had not come out yet. But that, that gives you an idea because that's the way you do it. You wrap it around your, your waist and across your shoulders. You've got hundreds of rounds on a heavy gun. Those children were terrified of me. I, I'm not used to having children afraid of me at, at that point in my life. So I went back. I took the gun off, took the ammunition off. I didn't even carry fingernail clippers. I went up there, no shirt, just my trousers. I went up there, and those children would come in there, touch me and jump back, touch me and jump back. 
One of them touched me and I grabbed his little hand and you'd have thought I had a pig by its tail. Squealing, filleting, screaming. He thought I was going to devour him. He thought I was a cannibal. I squeezed his little body up against mine and just held him. He relaxed. He looked up at me and in Vietnamese he said, Gia, you number one. That's Vietnamese for you're okay. <laughs> when he said that, all the other kids came running. I put my arms out there, hanging on my arms, around my legs, and I'm dragging these kids. We laughed. I fell in the dirt with them. Those children loved me. That day, they nicknamed me Mop Debt, Mop Debt, Mop Debt. The next day, we went back, and my team said, no, 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 we don't go back. I said, yes, we're going back. We're building PSYOP, psychological operation. We're building trust with heart-changing hearts and minds. I love those little kids. I wanted to see them again. And as I turned up that little canal, a little naked kid about three or four years old, run as fast as he could, scream, mop dad, mop dad, mop dad. And he is announcing my arrival. I got there and all the kids were waiting for me. And I had pockets full of popcorn. They're eating the popcorn and chanting, mop dad, mop dad, mop dad, which means fat butt. <laughs> you know what the other spelling is. <clears throat> I didn't know that time, but they loved old fat butt. And uh, third day, Again, now we're setting a precedent. The enemy's going to set an ambush. Somebody's going to get hurt if I go back again. Fourth day, I go back to go back into that little canal. And before I could turn up, I saw smoke in the tree line. We armed ourselves to the max. We went up that skinny little canal. You couldn't even turn the boat around. And you had to get to the cul-de-sac, I called it, to get turned around to get back out. You can only go in when tide's up. If the tide's down in that river, you'd drag bottom. You couldn't get out. The window of opportunity was narrow and it was deadly. When I got up in that cul-de-sac, I could see those little kids dead laying around and the elementary school teacher dead where the communists had killed her and those kids because they loved Dave. Maybe it makes a little sense to you why being loved is scary. I turned the boat around and I went back out to that gap. I dropped anchor. I pushed the button on the microphone and I called off an aircraft carrier, F-4 Phantoms that would come and drop bombs on what was left of that little village because the people that were dead were there, but the people that had gotten in, out into the jungle were safe. But the people that were left alive were the communists. They were there in those bunkers. The button on the microphone was a trigger on a thousand pound bombs. One by one, they started dropping those. That village was totally annihilated. It was after that I got into this mode, this mood of suicide by Viet Cong. Let them kill you. Don't kill yourself. Let them kill you. Let, it's suicide by a cop. That's what they call it in America. When somebody wants to die and, and they're running from the law, they act like they've got a gun and the cops kill them in self-defense, even if they had a gun or Loaded gun or no gun, if they look like it, it's their way to go out without doing it to themselves. And it's horrible. But you've lost hope. I lost my hope that day. And I put myself in every dangerous situation I could to get killed so I didn't have to go home. The mutilated mental man war had done to a preacher's kid that knew nothing but love. Never had a black eye in my life till I went to war. I couldn't get over it. I didn't know how to get through it. I was perplexed. 
I'm going to make it sense. Are you staying with me? Listen to this closing. Six years ago, my wife and I saved up enough money. We built a church in Vietnam on the soil that my blood and my DNA is poured into from that war. Where I was injured was in the village that I had destroyed. And today there's such a church operating under the spirit of life instead of the law of sin and death. There's such a church. Opening Sunday, 800 Vietnamese came. Opening Sunday. We now are building bridges between the little islands so they can go to church I had to wade through the mud. We're building bridges to the heart of the communists that were once my enemy I now love with all my heart. I don't like their former government. I told them that too. I said, I don't like, this is back years ago. We were just developing our compassion part of our mission. We went from compassion to conversion. It was during compassion time that we were building a hospital. And they called me in, the government did, and thanked me. And I said, well, you know, I don't like your former government. They said, well, you know, we don't like Bill Clinton. Forget the party. They just didn't like Bill Clinton. They liked George Bush because he gave them a lot of help with AIDS and all that. But it was really funny. I look back at that time when I had lost hope. And the weapon that I used, that M16, brought so much death. But today, my life is so filled with healing and joy because that new weapon, the John 3.16, is giving life. Instead of taking it in sin and death, it's taking it in the spirit of life. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that more abundantly. So here's my question and my conclusion. Do you love me? Say yes or no. All right. I want to say how much do you love me? Do you love me a lot? Raise your hand. All right. Do you think I'm setting you up? Say yes. (laughs) You bet you are. I'm setting you up. If you love somebody, you trust them. Do you trust me? Oh, a few less than the love, but yeah. If you trust me, would you trust me to do what? You perceive me to perceive as God telling me to close this way. Would you trust me with that? Say amen. Okay. I'm not good at getting down walking among you. So I'm going to ask any prayer team that are here that you know who that might be. I want them to come stand up here. Uh, Deliverance team, prayer team. I'm going to call. I'm going to pull this stool up a little closer. I can be as close as I can. I don't want to get so close I'll fall off then I'll have to have a healing team (laughs) here's my here's what I'm calling for as I was speaking a few times I felt what I was saying went to individuals people that I don't even know your name and that's good because if I did you could accuse me of having insider information I don't have insider information on anybody when I talked about suicide And if you're just a child and you understand what I'm talking about and that thought's been going through your brain, you listen to me right now. Maybe you're the parent of someone that has been lost and the devil's telling you like he told me. I was on the 14th floor of the Holly Coa, Rick, 14th floor. Brenda died. We had her celebration of life on Saturday, Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. One day later, I was preaching. 
Two weeks later, I was at the Holly Corps and speaking for the military in Hawaii. I'm on the 14th floor, which is, has a balcony. It's the top floor of the most beautiful hotel in Hawaii. And the devil came to me and said, Dave, if you jump three seconds later, you'll be with Brenda. Pretty convincing. I said, devil, you're an idiot. You know I'm scared of heights. I wouldn't jump off the bottom floor balcony and that's eight inches of concrete. You see, you got to fight for what you want. You got to stand when you want to lay down. When the devil's telling you, finish it, kill yourself, get it over with. It's so easy. This bottle of pills or that gun or this bottle of alcohol and that bottle of pills together, whatever. If the enemy's trying to destroy you, you listen to me right now. There's deliverance in the house. Jesus came to church today. If you got a report from the doctor that says it's terminal, don't let the world identify you. Get that preaching finger up in his nose and say, it's over when God says it's over. Not man. If today you're sitting in this room, you just live every day with depression because you're lonely. Say the word with me, lonely, lonely. That word sounds lonely. Let me tell you something, lonely is dangerous. I live alone basically now. I have a dog, little Benny, my favorite little pet. I've never had a pet as an adult. And now I got me a dog. I love that little guy, but you know what? He just barks, he doesn't talk. I have to quit barking. I never said that to my wife. That's why I'm still alive today. Lonely is a terrible place to be. And if you're in this room today and you're lonely, well, I have good news. You're surrounded by people that love you and love the soul that you are, and you're not alone to be lonely today. Amen. And then lastly, Do you know Jesus? Do you know him to know whom to know his life? And the spirit of life that's in Christ Jesus that gives you hope out of nothing he can produce hope and faith will flourish and you can get your life back. You deserve to know Jesus. If you don't know him today is your day. So here's what I'm asking. I want everybody in the house to stand your feet with me. You said you trust me because you love me. If you loved me and you trusted me, you said you trusted me to hear from God. If I speak to you from the heart of God, you're not going to respond to Dave. You're going to respond to God. But here's the facts. You will be seen with me. And if that's embarrassing or you don't want to be seen with me, stay at your chair. God can do his work in your heart there. But if you're not ashamed to be seen with me, I want everyone in this house that's dealing with one of those issues or some that I didn't call, but you know it's a hell-bent path that you don't want to come to the end of. You need Jesus today. And I especially call for those that might be dealing with that suicide issue heart to heart. I know how you feel. Let's laugh our way out of hell and laugh our way through those swinging pearly gates. What do you think of that? So as she gently plays. I'm going to invite those of you 
who are willing to trust me, would you come forward? I want to pray over you today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Come on down. They're starting to move already all over the house. All over the house. Just start walking. Start walking. This is your day, your church, your moment. Keep coming. And look, if you don't want to come alone, just turn to someone next to you and say, would you walk with me, please? I don't want to go by myself. They'll walk with you. Come on. Bring a friend. That's okay. And if you don't know them, they'll walk with you. Maybe they're looking for someone to walk with them. You can walk together. Come on down. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You can step right up to these that are here to pray for you. They're going to minister to you. And in a moment, I would like to pray over you. Keep coming. Keep coming. That's good. And whenever you've been prayed for, do not leave. Stay up here. Others will be prayed for after you, but don't go back to your seat. I want you to stay right here. Stay right here. You know, I worked nine years for Billy Graham, and we shared board members for 20 years. In those nine years, the song that closed every service was Just As I Am. Y'all ever heard that? Would you sing that with me? Mm -hmm. You're in the right key, as a matter of fact. Just as I am without one plea but